welcome along to the Rugby World Cup podcast. We are um, somewhat uh, tetchy here this evening, and you might understand why. And it's not just because Ireland lost, it's just because there's just lots to debate, and uh, we have a few opposite opinions here, that's for sure. We're back in uh, House Deegan. Alan, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Uh, Adrienne, thanks for having us. She doesn't speak in our podcast, but she did say just before we went to a recording, for God's sake, lads, will you at least say one or two things positive? Because we were sounding very grumpy, so prepare yourself, folks. William Davis. Good evening, Rob. He's also half a Welshman as well, so bad weekend for William. And Dave Finn, welcome along. Good job presenting last week. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was professionals. Yeah, I was on the subway last week listening to you tell me that Winnipeg never win when I'm watching them, which is wrong. They won two out of three, but uh, quite apart from that. Did, um, they, did they win the game that you were at? No, that was the one game they actually particularly lost. So when the one game that we knew you were at, which was the one you were tweeting us from, whilst we were recording, is the one where they lost. So yes, therefore, that's as far as we're concerned, when we're recording and you're watching Winnipeg, they lose. QED, we win. You lose. Now, is there any other Rugby World Cup podcast where Winnipeg gets a mention? I don't think so. But anyways, enough of that. Enough of the hockey. And Rugby. There's, and there's a good reason for that. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's too many hockey podcasts that Winnipeg get a mention, but that's a whole other story. Alan, uh, bad weekend. Uh, we're all feeling glum. You said you were feeling pretty blooming angry yesterday, but I think today you're probably like most of us now. You've kind of put it to bed because we were beaten by a better side. We being Ireland, in case anyone listens to this podcast from a very neutral point of view. Indeed, yes. Yes, very disappointing. Um... We never really survived from losing our captain, our playmaker, our defensive linchpin, our most destructive six, and our main ball carrier. Not sure many teams would, to be honest. You know, people were asking me about it. You know, were we going to win? I wasn't anywhere near as confident as I was against the French, and then I lost all confidence when Sexton was taken out and, and actually changed my prediction to being Argentina because um, I didn't see how we were going to control the game. Um, but. Everything had been based on our best, uh, us being very strong defensively, and we certainly weren't that yesterday. So the talking point for the next couple of minutes is, well, what's the initial reaction? And we'll come back to you on that, Alan, but like, William, as a follow-on from that, does that almost justify the result then in terms of, look, yeah, we were well beaten in another World Cup quarter-final, but there's nothing we can do. We didn't have to back up, we didn't have the players, too many injuries, Argentina had all the luck. No. Okay. No. <laughs> I'm afraid not. I don't even think Alan agrees with that. No, <laughs> no that, uh, you'd have to be uh, really sugarcoating it to believe that, although I read a few things on forum sites last night which were really strange. We lost it in the first 14 minutes when we finished up 17 nil down. You cannot do that at any level of rugby, and there was no excuse for it. We didn't seem to be organised or switched on. They did nothing particularly exciting to score those two tries. They just took the ball, moved it, got it out wide and went past a defensive line that was wrongly organised. Now, that could be put down to this um, word leadership, but you've you've got to know what you're doing when you go out there. They just looked absolutely shell-shocked. And I think it almost surprised Argentina because then they almost backed off a little bit and started um, slowing the game down and it allowed us to come back into it. And that's, that's effectively where the game went. We did very well to get as close as we did at one stage in the second half. And if a penalty had gone over and there was a couple of small things went wrong, the kick directly into touch and there was the knock-on at the back of a, a scrum we'd been awarded... Small things, they moved away after that. But we were hanging on, 
we didn't get a real foothold in the game. Keen Healy at the end of it, I thought, made a good point. He said, we never seem to have the ball. And that's really how it felt when you were watching it. I don't know the statistics, but they always seem to be, because they got the start ahead of us. Uh, we had 51% possession. Now Keen. But where? where? In the first 20 minutes they had. They had a lot of the ball. Yeah. But then we, 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 we never challenged them. No. We didn't have any dog. There was no dog there to really, you know... Who would be O'Mahony, O'Connell, Donica Ryan was on the bench for some reason. Um, but look no. at all the Welsh players who've been injured, and they managed to keep the dog and they keep the fight. And like, I mean, Jordy Murphy walks around as a Leinster player and a highly rated Ireland player. I mean, you look at some of the guys who came into the team yesterday. Beyond that, and you start to ask yourself, Chris Henry came into the team. You know, Chris Henry's a hugely rated and did his best. Like as a collective unit, we didn't have dog, wasn't it? It was it, like it was less to do. Like the guys in the field underperformed. Passivity was the word that came up, and I think that's a really good expression for it. It was very similar in the Italy game. Just letting everything come slightly too too close to you, too fast, waiting for something to happen, not making it happen on the defensive line, and that encourages a side. And that was right at the start of the game that happened, and then Argentina moved it up. You've got to hit the ground running, especially when you're down players. They must have known that that was coming at them. No, no, I'm not going to disagree. That's absolutely summed it up. That's perfect. It was incredibly passive. It's, I think maybe they got in their heads. It's, it's almost like they haven't seen Argentina play this year and haven't worked out. Argentina have moved away from the grunt, 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 and up yeah, there. And which gives us a chance to give Argentina a lot of credit, which we have to do now. And, and you're getting towards that. Now. Yeah, well, I think I think well, the fascinating. Their pack is young. Their, um, the two second row, well, the second row the, came off was twenty. So the second row is twenty two. They bring on a twenty. They bring on a twenty three year old. You don't have t- two twenty uh, guys under twenty three in your in your second row. But you, I didn't know that. I thought they were grizzled. I thought the back row was grizzled. No, the front row was grizzled because Iertz is there and he he redefines grizzled. But overall, but overall, that's a very their experience was Iertz and Hernandez. And to be honest with you, Ayotza's biggest impact was on Conor Murray, and Hernandez was, relatively speaking, the least effective of their backs. But it didn't matter, because everybody else was amazing. Um, I think we underestimate how good the Italian, the Argentinian backs are. These guys are playing in France, they're playing in England, they are playing at a top level, and they are good. And somebody has got hold of them and said, you know what, guys, we're now in the, in, in, in the Four Nations, and the Four Nations is it basically is is adult version of the top, of the Super Fifteen, and Super Fifteen has always been basketball. It's always been about chucking the ball about, and then they take it onto a new level with the best of those players chucking about. And for Argentina to try and bring their old fashioned ten man game, they were going to get mulled. So they took a look at what are we facing every year? We're facing New Zealand and Australia, who like to throw the ball about. How do we do it? We throw the ball about even as even more bizarrely than they do. And then us, we come up against facing teams. And let's be frank about it: the Welsh were a grunt team. The Welsh are a grunt team, the French are a grunt team at the moment, the Italians are a grunt team, and the Scots in the last Six Nations were just, a, were just kamikaze. So we weren't used to that. So we thought, well, it's Argentina, they'll be grunt. They weren't. They ran at us, and we were like, we, and I think it was summed up, Steve Tolan said after three minutes, look, why are we so narrow? And William Scott, we were passive. It was like we thought, we're facing Italy, we, have, we, can, we can get away with being passive, and we couldn't. And fair play. For 15 minutes, we were outbattled. Now, there was bravery in coming back. And I did think, for, I was beginning to think at twenty three twenty that Argentina had no plan B. And then three, then there were two 
penalties. There was one for Argentina which gave them a six-point lead and then Madigan missed the last penalty and it just deflated us. There was nothing left and the Argentinians realised that and then they ran and then took over the last 15 minutes. So there was about 25, 30 minute period where we brought our game. But you're starting, you're starting with one hand tied behind your back. We lost it in the last, in the first, as William said, we absolutely lost in the first 15 minutes. We pulled it back, but the last 15 minutes there was nothing in the tank. And the score line, the score line may be slightly wrong. But the result isn't. I want to spend a little bit more time on Argentina, Alan, and just just to take on what Dave said. Bet one of the best games, non-World Cup games I watched this year was Argentina beating South Africa in Durban. That was fantastic. But let's not forget the following week. You know, the world order was restored because South Africa went down there and they bossed them. And you kind that's why I still thought we'd edge it against Argentina yesterday because I still thought yes, I saw them in Durban. They have moved on. I saw them in this World Cup. They are very good. But ultimately, do they? Can they really? deliver in a big, big game when the pressure's really on. And this is why I think yesterday, in particular, they've kicked on to a whole new level now. Yeah, I think the, the, the thing to remember about the second game, Durban. like the Durban game, yeah. meant something because it was in the, the championship, the second one wasn't. Oh, was it? I didn't realise that. I'm so confused by that, that system. Oh my God. Yeah. Right, fair enough. It wasn't, it wasn't part of the championship, so there they, was an element of change yeah. in it. They didn't, yeah, because Australia, when Australia went to New Zealand for the same reason... It was a warm-up warm game, and that yeah. changes everything. Yeah, it does. That's a really fair point. And it totally changed my concept of it, because I was like, oh, was it a one-off? Because I was telling everyone that week, William, like the way they played in Durban, they, they, they played such great rugby. They scored some of the best tries Argentina have ever scored. It was a wonderful win. And now, now backed up by what Alan's saying there, it's all part of a trend. No one should be fooled. Argentina, or we, we're going to spend a little bit of time at the end of the podcast talking about the future of Irish rugby and maybe talking a little bit more about what went wrong. But... Uh, Right now, it's Argentina's day, and I, like I think we're all kind of hoping that they put it up to Australia now. We'd love them to beat them because you just want to see them emerge into a final. Yeah, well, the decision to get Graham Henry involved, who mightn't have been the most obvious person because he's his Welsh team certainly didn't throw the ball around when he was in charge of them, and his New Zealand team were a pretty pragmatic bunch as well. Uh, but he was brought down there, and he basically seems to have told them, "You've got to start scoring tries." You can't just grind out these. I mean, I remember going to one of the worst rugby games I've ever been at was at Croke Park when we played Argentina. I think we beat yeah. them. Yeah, I and it was a freezing cold afternoon and it was like watching paint dry. Two sides who couldn't play. They really couldn't play. And they, they dragged us down to our level. That was the way they operated. 2007 was a slight anomaly, but that yeah. was almost a golden age. Yeah. They, it all came together for them. They had fantastic players who had a lot of experience. And the game at that time was still kind of from the English 2003 World Cup. The people were unsure what way to play the game and it still had a lot of kind of stifling kicking rugby. Which suits But they've changed. Yeah. And they've obviously, they've, they've made a decision to change and they're younger players. What struck me about them yesterday was they all look comfortable on the ball and they all ran with the ball. We keep looking for certain ball carriers. We keep looking for the same guys to truck the ball up. They don't. They all move it up. They can pass in the tackle, um, which is more a Southern Hemisphere thing. It's not so much offloading. It's actually looking up, looking round and getting rid of the ball or taking the tackle. And the point on that, and I've been doing this with the, the kids I coach in school, and I've been showing them, this is how you offload. And I walk in and I show them, I get, you know, you, you, you dominate the tackle, you, you put your body into it, you dominate the tackle, you get your hands free. And then I said to them, OK, what do you need now to finish the offload? And they weren't sure. I said, you need someone to pass to. And that's the difference. 
they always have somebody there to pass the ball to. There's somebody waiting for it. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, if you look at Sonny Bill Williams and guys, they, they they seem to throw these speculative passes, but they're not because they know somebody's going to be there. I was listening to Dave McIntyre in the commentary the last day talking about Charteris doing a ridiculous offload. And I was like, yeah, he probably forced it. Maybe it was slightly ill-advised. But in truth, no one was there for him. It's a rugby league thing. Everybody thinks <clears throat> rugby league is just bash, 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 six tackles. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. But it's not. They are constantly making two decisions. Do I take the tackle or do I offload or pass? And they're constantly waiting for somebody to come on a line. And sometimes they're coming from so far back, you don't even see it on television, and suddenly somebody's coming. Now, that's Sonny Bill Williams, rugby league player. There's a lot of that influence has come in New Zealand and Australia. The one Southern Hemisphere team that haven't changed is South Africa. They still produce huge men. They're still producing the bash-up stuff. It's quite skillful bash-up stuff, but Argentina have obviously realised we're going to go for clever. The, the, the clever, faster rugby. I called it yesterday in a couple of tweets, the new rugby. It is and it isn't. It's, it's common sense stuff, but it's, it's a move ahead. It's a change. I wouldn't necessarily agree that it's rugby league. I think I think in rugby league there is still an awful lot of run, a big lad run run hard at the guy to, to basically to make the guy to sap the guy's energy. Though I will accept that the reason why the South Africans haven't adapted to it is because they don't have a real tradition of rugby league. It is significant to note that of the two players of the players who've come in, there aren't that many ex rugby league players in this current World Cup. But there are, there is a prime example of a compare and contrast. I mean, people are comparing Burgess to Sonny Bill. To be honest with you, it's not it's not fair. Sonny Bill was always it's just a freak. He's a freak. But the other one that they've brought in is Milner Scudder. Now Milner Scudder is not built like a rugby league player, but he has the feet. And his try against France was an example of this is a guy who's looking for the space. And look at what Argentina did. And look at certainly look at what Australia tried to do. The Scots to a certain degree were trying to do it, but they're still their skill set is well below. Is nobody an Argentinian forward would pick the ball up and he would see if he could run into space and if he couldn't then he'd run and absorb the tackle and this has been a bugbear of mine it's a bugbear of mine at club le- at provincial level it's a bugbear of mine at club level and a bugbear of mine at schools level and it's really a bugbear at this national level is that our forwards pick the ball up look and then run into the guy rather than pick the ball up and look well can I run into the space and make the guy go to the space to swing up more space for an off- offloading runner we run at the guy whereas all the Southern Hemisphere, well, three of the Southern Hemisphere teams run at the space. And that is why Argentina, who were never used to doing that, but had fastbacks, suddenly realised, if we run into the space, we create even more space for our fastbacks. And the first try is the prime example of that. It's not just running into space. It's running, looking for the soft shoulder. It's making the step. It's taking the step that um, you, you would see Peter O'Mahony does it unbelievably well. O'Brien does it on and off. Um, Healy used to do it and seems to have stopped doing it where you're, you're looking for the weak shoulder which allows you to then get over across the game line and then, and then work it through from there If you, rugby's a simple game if you get the ball and go forward you're going to win the game if you look at it the difference between the, the biggest difference between the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere is when the, the Northern Hemisphere get the ball, guys get the ball and pass it along the line their bodies are twisted to go along the line, so they're they're, they're catching the ball and they're they're, they're following the ball. They're, they're 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 turning their bodies. They're not straightening the line. They're they're making it easy for the defenders to drift out because they're not holding them. Yeah. They're not running at their inside yeah. shoulder. If they are running at the inside shoulder, the guys know that they're not going to pass the ball, so they can actually make it a strong shoulder and hit them back. So that that that's an issue. Whereas 
with the Argentinians and whatever, they'll they'll take it up, they'll straighten the line, they'll step they'll step back towards the defender, yeah. and then still give a good pass of fifteen or twenty meters. That's a skill. That's just straight skill. That's not offloading. That's simply taking a basic skill and and applying it very well. I got a tweet yesterday from someone who was just suggesting that by me saying, you know, Ireland have, have, have been held to another quarter final and, and Six Nations championships are, are, are not just going to cut the mustard anymore. You know, I was being disrespectful to Argentina by not acknowledging the winning team. And I think that's nonsense for starters. But I, I think the way you respect an opposition is you do exactly what we're talking about, which is, you, yeah, we try and assess where we lost it, which is we come to this point, which is ultimately like we've assessed why Argentina are beating us like they did. And like Argentina have moved on. We're definitely behind them. The world rankings currently have is it New Zealand followed by Australia followed by South Africa followed by Argentina at the moment, and it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. I would, question, I would also make one caveat: is that according to the world rankings, Japan are closer to Scotland than Scotland are to France. Yeah. And that's eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. So I don't. You rank, don't agree with that. I think Japan are a lot further behind Scotland than Scotland are behind France. Oh well, that's. I disagree with that. Uh, I, like I like I don't know. I, I, I think I think if if Japan had played. As we said last week, if Panda played USA four days after they'd played the South African game and then had a proper run at Scotland, I think we might have seen a much closer game than we did. Which is like the Samoa game. Samoa were pretty average in this World Cup, yet they had Scotland in all over the place. And Scotland, it was only when um, it was only when Craig Laidlaw just got control of the game and said, you know what, maybe we'll kick a couple of penalties here and uh, beat this team. That we'll get can, the can I make a, can I, that brings us back to why we, whilst we should be analysing and getting very, very into what we how we move on from last game last week's game is that it is just a one game and it may has no bear next time we play Argentina we may hammer them we have no bearing because Japan bet South Africa South Africa have just beaten have just beaten Wales Wales bet England so using that logic Japan should beat England I mean there's no logic behind it guys yeah. that's just what happens sometimes we can overanalyze these things and I think we should just get back to it yeah. is that on the day we definitely it's not saying we shouldn't analyze these things because there's a bigger issue as to about how Northern Hemisphere rugby is, is depending but if we get caught up on on if we get if we if we, if we, if we yeah you're killing me Dave I'm trying to move this on no no no, no, no. <laughs> We're going to get to this at the end, but anyway. But, one, yeah. but I'm basically, but I'm basically you, now, can, yeah. you can get caught no, up. You can get caught up too much in one result because I don't think South African South African rugby took a look at itself and it's played exactly the same against Wales as it did against Japan, and they got a completely different result. Okay. Yeah, mainly because uh, Wales play a game that's the same. Like, like everyone seems to think that it, uh, South Africans are the biggest team in the world. They're not. Wales are bigger than them in practically every department, and the Irish aren't too far behind them. Ireland had a 40, 30 to 40 kilogram advantage in the scrum and we got massacred. In the Argentina game? In the Argentina game. Yeah. The same, the, the, the Welsh scrum was bigger than the South African scrum. The Welsh backs were bigger than the South African backs. Almost, you know, man for man. And that's why South Africa got what they got because they, they were able to do it that little bit better and Wales just didn't have enough quality there. Um, but if you look at, you know, going back through all the World Cups, the Northern Hemisphere teams have never won more games than the Southern Hemisphere teams. Just to clarify that, exactly what you're saying here, go for it. So what I'm saying is in any game between a Southern Hemisphere team, and I mean Argentina, Australia, New Zealand, or uh, South Africa, against a Northern Hemisphere team, our the current reading is in 2003 it was 4-3. So four wins to Southern Hemisphere, three to the Northern Hemisphere. In 2007 it was 8-2, 2011 it was 5-2, and this World Cup it's 7-0. And actually some of the results are much bigger in this World Cup than they were in any of the other ones. So, like, there's, you know, this idea that we're starting to fall behind. It's we're falling further and further behind. We've got bigger and it hasn't made any difference. It's more about skill and knowledge and looking at what's up in front of you. 
part two. This is a Rugby World Cup podcast. We've stressed from the very outset that we didn't want it to be the Irish Rugby World Cup podcast. So we've talked a good bit about Ireland. We may mention a little bit more right at the end. And of course, in the next two podcasts, we'll have little bits and bobs, including a feature coming up, I think, next week on Ireland hosting the World Cup. We'll have some opinions on that. and We'll have a chat about it ourselves. You know, what it entails and what it might mean. But for now, let's start... uh, previewing the semi-finals and the best way we can do that is review the quarter-finals semi-final number one will be between South Africa and New Zealand South Africa were the first game up at the weekend they beat Wales Dave Finn what was your thoughts on that game and that win? It was a throwback game it was two very big mountainous groups of men running into each other with all the subtlety of you know two boulders running into each other there were two pieces of absolutely brilliant individual skill the first was from um, was from Priestland who caught his own kick and laid it off to Gareth Davis who ran a, a good supporting line and the second was a lovely offload from our number 8 at the base of a scrum uh, which capitalised on a piece of a player we have been highlighting in the past who hasn't been playing particularly well who was Alex Cuthbert uh, who stepped in and allowed uh, Fouille Debris to get in it was dour <laughs> and I just wonder if rugby has passed Gatlin by I really enjoyed it because I like that type of game um, I enjoyed it too for the same reason, but yeah, yeah does, I was brought it, up in that kind of rugby. So. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. It, yeah. it, it certainly wasn't tick a rugby. Uh, for it was it was just a nightmare. Um, why why, I, I why just, did he have such a bad day? I, I don't. Well, he, is he it did, coming? Is it? No, it isn't. It's been coming for years. Defensively, for a professional rugby player, defensively he's terrible. But he, you would think he would have learned a few basics. Basic number one: if you come off the wing position, you have to get the ball carrier. He wasn't helped by the fact that Warburton and the rest of the back row were walking. And Warburton, when he went, if you watch it in full speed, Warburton goes to make the tackle. He, He can't run. He's virtually limping. And that was it. It was a lovely move. South Africa, they just found a way to win. They didn't do anything particularly exciting. And, yeah, they're in the semi-final. Wales aren't. But again, Wales probably have to look a little bit at the new rugby because they are being the same boat that we are in. We were discussing it earlier. Dave, what do you mean by Gatlin game passing him by? I think I think when I say that, he's probably the ultimate exponent of the rugby of 2003, 2007. Caveman rugby! Caveman rugby, yeah. That's a little harsh. I mean, there is some subtlety there. And certainly in terms of D, um, they were very good. But, but Wales, Wales have so many players who can do something, but they seem straight-jacketed. And I wonder if, if Gatland is the last vestige of old rugby. Caveman rugby, they, it was... I can beat you up by running over you. That's what you saw most of the game. In the first 10 minutes of the New Zealand game, you saw more skill than you did in the whole 80 minutes of the wales South Africa game because it was a case of let's beat each other up and see who can be left standing last. Was, was it like the Wales-Australia game the previous week as well? Because I thought Wales were no. really... OK, it was a bit different, yeah. No, very different to it. It was, it was just two, two huge teams pounding at each other, just trying to run over each other all day. Well, from the Welsh point of view, I just thought when they went to attack Australia when they were down to 13 men, they just were so one-dimensional, so predictable with the same line-out moves. And then they just took that on into the South Africa game where South Africa do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. basically, yeah, that's what I saw. William, that must be frustrating. I mean, look, you're, you have a bit of a heart in Wales as well, rightly so, and like you must have been just caught kind of watching this predictable stuff. Yeah, they're, they're South Africa light, but they, if you're going to make excuses for Ireland with injuries, Wales have gotten through the ringer. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and at least they've ended this World Cup with a really close defeat and died on their feet, even if it wasn't spectacular rugby, whereas Ireland are just blaming their injuries very much. <laughs> yeah, but that said, 
Um, that 10 minutes against Australia was mind-numbing. And it really was awful. It was so, yeah. naive. Yeah. And it was... It wouldn't have passed muster in the Pro 12. Yeah. You would expect a side to have a little bit more. And whether they can step up... There'll they, be players coming back, but... They got, they're going to have a long look at it, I think. All right, semi-final then pits uh, New Zealand against them. New Zealand beat France. Wow, what a game. Uh, well, it was a performance from New Zealand. France didn't show up. France were absolutely lamentable. Yeah. And that, I think, will almost worry New Zealand a little bit because they, they put on an exhibition. It was, some of it was absolutely stunning. It was fast, accurate... Uh, that spell of tries, Milner scudders, and then and then the brilliant try in the corner it was incredible stuff. It, it really was, but the only but is France. I, I don't know where France were or are. Um, nowhere it w- it w- it would seem. And if you if you carry that forward, do you want to talk about the semi final? Yeah, we can. We can talk about it in the context of it because there's no point over analysing that game. You've you've really summed it up. Yeah. Um, South Africa don't fear New Zealand. Right. Don't care about the black jumper. Play them regularly. They will play exactly the game they want to play. Mm. And they will reckon that that's good enough to beat New Zealand. New Zealand will play the the way they want to play. And they often produce really good games of rugby. Um, If I'm calling it, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say South Africa. Wow, really? Yep. Well, we're coming back to you on that. Dave, you stunned as I am. South Africa to beat New Zealand? Surely not. Surely they're invincible. Um, I wouldn't say they're invincible because, you know, they did struggle against the closest they face in terms of a pack like the South African, so far has been the Georgians and they did struggle against them. Um, no, uh, I think they'll just move them. I don't think, I, don't, I think that the South African pack, the front row is heavy, the back row is old and the, mid, the, the second row is raw. Um, I think they'll move them around and they, they'll just move the ball. They'll move the, they will have too much of now. It it will depend if South Africa can draw them into a dogfight, then it might. Then I think Williams Williams bet may come up. But if Australia, they just don't, if news if the All Blacks move them around, I just don't see them having being able to keep up with them. And it's about the speedness. I think South Africa are the slowest of the four teams left, and I think that lack of of mental and physical speed will catch them out. Now, I'm not saying that New Zealand will. If who I do think will go through, I think they're going to face a much bigger test in terms of speed of thought in the in, with the other game. But I just think they're lucky in the sense that they're now facing a team that is slow. All right. How how do you, how do South Africa drag New Zealand into a dogfight, Alan? I don't know. They managed to do it 43% of the time because that's how many times that, that's the percentage rating. They're the best team in the world for playing against New Zealand. Nobody comes close to them. You know, as William said, they don't fear them. They'll they'll take them on. They've got some very good centres. They're not just necessarily a bish bash bosh team. They just happened to do that last week. Um, the two centres are, are pretty useful. Uh, Willie Roo is, 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 is phenomenal. He's a, he's a fantastic player, always looking for space. Uh, I'd be very critical of his attempt to tackle. In, was it the Wales game there where he came up on after the kick? Yeah, the kick from, was it Priestland who did the, the Gary Owen? Yeah, that, like, that was some pathetic defending. But yeah, I suppose there's one negative. Other than that, he's a super attacker. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's, um, that's not, not everybody's uh, good under the high ball. So there's certain fullbacks in another green jersey who don't know how to tackle oh. either, but we won't talk about that. I had a text from, from a friend who knows a hell of a lot more about rugby than he gives 
himself credit, but he, he often texts me in a kind of, am I wrong type text? And he was like, am I wrong? Is Rob Carney one of the worst defenders in rugby? And, you know, Rob Carney may not be one of the worst defenders in rugby, but uh, he certainly was shown up defensively the last day, that's for sure. Uh, William, yeah, so back to you, just to finish, you do still think South Africa are going to get them into that dogfight? How are they going to do that? Maybe it'll rain. <laughs> you can never trust the weather over here. Well, it's been the dry World Cup, but that, that, well, that would change it. I just think it's the lack of fear that they have. They have, they have an absolute belief in their system mm. and they will not be deflected from it. And they're just not frightened. They, they don't respect them. They, well, sorry, that's wrong. They do respect them. They don't fear them. Mm. And it's just someone in my head that says this will be a tight, tough struggle. They won't get away with the stuff that they played against France. Magnificent to watch. But France were chaotic. Mm. Unbelievable. Gutless shambles. Mm. And it was an affront to what used to be a really good rugby team. And I just hope Guy Noves, please, for everybody's sake, in yeah, for the Northern, Northern Hemisphere, hemisphere yeah. gets a hold of them and tries to work out something because he's almost the last chance. The problem is, it's uh, French rugby is all about the top fourteen, and that's that's the you know the French public don't seem to really give a monkey's about the French rugby. The heart of French rugby is in in the south of France, and they play all their games in Paris. So why would the, the public care about them? Yeah, that, 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 that's a huge issue. They used to play... They, they, I don't think they've ever lost a game in Marseille. They played regularly in Marseille. They used to play in Nantes, uh, Lyon. They moved around. Um, they, it's not like they don't have the stadiums the, the, and they don't have the people to fill them. It's very simple. They have to pay off the debt. They don't, they don't own Stade de France, but they're signed into the debt. Ah. And they keep talking about building this new stadium, which is going to be four miles down the road from Stade de France. Ah, oh, fantastic. And it, but, but we could be here all night talking about it, but it's very simple. The four-year television deal for French Top 14 Rugby is nearly 300 million euros. Okay. That talks. That, that's a good way to... Let's have a musical sting. Dave, Argentina in the semi-finals, so we don't need to talk about them because we've talked about them quite, quite a lot. Great win for them. They're going to play Australia. Australia just about survived against Scotland, didn't they? That was a defence optional game. It's like... I mean, it shouldn't. I mean, to be honest with you, Australia should have won that game by a country mile. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But, but thanks to uh, thanks to their own stupidity and self-destructive streak, they kept Scotland in it. And then with four minutes ago, thinking, well, Scotland, uh, Scotland will win this. And then there's the controversial knock-on, which, depending on which camera angle you see, is either the clearest knock, clearest offside of all time, or the worst decision given by a referee, um, which. Does make maybe you know sometimes we could just accept that referee makes a call and live with it. Yeah, uh, maybe we should, especially since ultimately in in live play it does look like a Scottish guy knocked that into the hands. So you know, some but, but, some some understanding needs to be given there. But we do have TMOs. Yeah, but, but if you if you concede five tries, I don't know if you concede five tries in. Um, a World Cup quarterfinal, you really do undermine any claims you have to be the better team on the day. And especially when your three tries are considered by a blockdown kick, which everybody could see coming. I mean, everyone could see. His hands were in the air for three seconds before you kicked the ball and you still kicked it into him. Uh, a pass, the reason why, there's the clearest example of why loose head props should not throw dummies to their own players. And a moment where every, even the player who scored the try was thinking, I've clearly done something wrong here. It was heartbreaking for Scotland. And... That camera angle, that decision, you can't talk to TMOs about that stuff. I think it was a dodgy yellow card for uh, Maitland, but that's debatable. But probably the better team won. I think they've had their Japan-South Africa moment, and I think Australia will be fully concentrated next week. 
And after the pool of debt, they were looking for an easy game. <laughs> they just didn't happen to get one. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. Oh, we got Scotland, we can relax. Uh, no. What does it mean going forward for Argentina versus Australia? I mean, I think we'd all like to believe in Ireland, and most people anyways would love to believe that Argentina will be this great story of the World Cup, and we can enjoy that. I don't think anyone really wants to see Australia beat them, but it's kind of set up for Australia, isn't it? You made a good point, Alan, about the celebrations of Argentina afterwards. Just a kind of sense that maybe... Yeah, they, they did seem to celebrate an awful lot. It was as though it was their World Cup. Um, but then someone made the point that after the Tonga game with um, a certain Maradona in the in the dressing room, they were celebrating a hell hell of a lot as they well. Were, so yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it, maybe they can go on, but they certainly don't have anything to lose. And they've nothing to fear either. With him. We're talking about fear. No, because again, they've been playing them yeah. year in year out now since two thousand and eleven, and Australia have been. Very typically Australian. They've been a little bit inconsistent. Uh, their scrum looked absolutely rock solid, but on yesterday it wasn't. It was it was patchy. Now Pocock was missing, and he seems to galvanise that side in a particular way. They seem to get twitchy. When we beat them in the last World Cup, he wasn't available. Okay. Uh, he wasn't available when the Lions were down there two years ago through injury both times. So if he's back... I think they'll put in a much stronger performance. But there's no fear factor for Argentina. Yeah, it's going to be... I'm looking forward to both semi-finals immensely now. And it's only Monday. I think I'm kind of... I thought it might, I thought it might take me till Tuesday to, to, to move on, but I'm looking forward to it now. Oh, this, this could be a great game. I mean, it depends. If they both play to maximum capacity, we, we could end up with a ridiculous scoreline. Great tries. Or it could be... 3-0 but it'll still be a great game I just have a feeling it's going to be a, Australia Argentina's going to be a great game and I can't call it I actually genuinely because I think both teams have given us enough over the last 48 hours to make you think yes they'll absolutely storm this semi-final but both teams have done enough in both games to make you think actually they've got some severe weaknesses I think Williams right I think Boca coming back will make a huge difference if he plays then yes I think Australia will win if he doesn't then I'd have to go for Argentina and we won't know so it comes down basically to who takes the pitch Pocock's not there I think it swings it back to Argentina and seriously, if it rains, Australia have a big problem. They just can't play in the rain. Mm. And I think that will get inside their heads. I hope it doesn't happen. We want two beautiful days for good rugby at the weekend, but law of averages dictates it has to start raining at some stage. Alan, I remember talking to you all those years ago about Argentinian rugby and you know the way they were put in a group quietly. Draws were made behind closed doors and they'd end up in the toughest group every time. And We were screaming out for Argentina to get a chance in the world game. They're there now. But still, you get the feeling the difference in spreading the word in Argentina about the Rugby World Cup in them getting to a final and them doing well in the semi-final is huge. Like It could really transform the game in Argentina if they could get to a final, couldn't they? Um, I don't know. I think it's well on the way anyway. like they're, yeah. they're bringing Most of these guys are going to be playing Super Rugby next year as the Argentinian team. They've had a professional league there for a couple of years and it seems to be quite successful. But you still see some home games, you know, friend, even the South Africa game, they don't get massive crowds still. I mean, is, is that harsh? Maybe they're playing them in the wrong place, but... It's a bit of an odd one. And yeah. when, they, when, they, when they got into the rugby championship, they made a decision they weren't going to play games in Buenos Aires. Okay. They were going to move the games all around the country, sometimes to complete non-rugby areas. Oh, right. uh, they've now drifted back towards Buenos Aires, but it is very much the upper middle class private schools game. It really is in Argentina. Yeah. Soccer is the game of the masses. So, so that's what I'm saying. A rugby World Cup final would that transform? I, I, I think it would. Um, but it's worth noting today in the Argentinian press, the first four pages was about Messi 
injuring himself somewhere. And then there's two pages apparently about the rugby and how great it was and the broken shamrocks apparently. The broken shamrocks. <laughs> we'll take that, yeah. Uh, little point of interest, the British and Irish Lions, or the British Lions as they were then, have actually toured there three times in the early part of the last century. And I would think it would be a fabulous place for the Lions to Agreed, go. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, they did try, apparently, back in 2009, they tried to get the Lions to come back as part of the trip yeah. um, in South Africa, and they, they wouldn't do it. But you'd like to think they're going to have no choice, considering... Well, the Lions have turned into such forward. a corporate thing now and the type of teams they play in oh, the few yeah. games. It's oh, well, that was just so disappointing to see that, that schedule for yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. We've just gone on that last game, the last game between Australia and New Zealand, was played in Mendoza... The last game between Argentina and New Zealand? Argentina and Australia, apologies. Oh, yeah, Argentina. Uh, it was played in Mendoza in July, and the score was 34 9 to Australia. Yeah, the Aussies will fancy themselves. Yeah, possibly, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, maybe we have, this was probably a danger that we're overrating them a little bit because we were so poor. Maybe, maybe there's that too. Let's hope we're wrong, though. Let's hope Argentina do that. Love their fans in the World Cup, love the singing, love all that. We're going to the final part of this, but Alan, so, that's yeah, one more point. I have to remember the game, that, that first half against New Zealand, they were pretty bloody awesome. They were. Yeah, no, look, it's genuine. They've been good in this World Cup. They're going to they're gonna do themselves just in semi-final. Can they win? That's another thing. Actually, yeah, call it, lads. Actually, let's call both semi-finals because I'm not sure we all called the, the other one. New Zealand or South Africa? Uh, the blacks. Uh, New Zealand, South Africa. South Africa. New Zealand, South Africa. New Zealand. I'll go with New Zealand as well. And Argentina versus Australia. I'm going to start it off by going Australia. Argentina. Australia. Just think Australia, but ask me again when the teams are selected. Oh, exciting times. Okay, final part of the podcast coming up. Okay, earlier on the podcast, I said, Dave, we'll talk about it later in terms of whether we analyse one game in isolation and analyse Irish rugby on the basis of that. But you know what we're going to do? And I think you can back me up on this. We're going to just leave that till next week. We'll have a great chat about the semi-finals. But we're going to leave a segment of next week's podcast for a future of Irish rugby. And we'll also talk about the possibility of it hosting the World Cup. So that's the time to do it. We might just let it lie for now. Oh, yeah, absolutely let it lie. I mean, post-mortems immediately afterwards, we're all a bit raw and we're still angry. And, but I think... We need to take a little bit because it's not just something about the national team. It can't just be the national team. I mean, f- if you, all the all the teams are going to have to look at themselves from big, from top to bottom, and we're going to have to. I think we can't just say it's the national team problem. It's no, it's Irish rugby tra- prop, yeah. problem. By the way, I agree with William about touring Argentina with the Lions. Also, be very nice if we took in a test against Uruguay. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Why not? That'd be savage. I think they should do that. I think it would show great respect for the world game growing, but I just think the Lions have been taken over by the marketing numbnuts and that's a bad news for the future of that competition. Uh, or that competition, that, that tour. All right, I'll start off on the rants. Just, just to take up a little bit of what you said, yeah, it's about more than the national team. I encourage people to get on knockon.ie and read the, some of the coverage that myself and Alan put together around the future of Irish rugby at an amateur level. And I think all I want to say on that right now is it has to inform all the discussions we have about where Irish rugby is going. It doesn't necessarily mean that if amateur rugby is struggling, that the, the professional grade is struggling or anything like that. But it definitely means that there are some things we can improve on in terms of one of the biggest things that we really wanted to explore more. Unfortunately, we ran out of time with the website, but we really wanted to explore more what we're doing with young players in academies who don't make it 90% of players in academies don't make it what's our plan where's the booklets where's the plan keep these guys in rugby look after them communicate with them afterwards that's my rant for this week and I'll have more on that next week but uh, do log on to knock on that uh, look at the last couple of articles we did around the investment in the amateur game which we think is possibly linked to the whole game in Ireland and whether the success in the future or not okay lads what have you got who wants to go first William William's ready rant time my rant is about God oh 
I am fed up with sportsmen being interviewed after games and starting to praise Jesus, the Lord, I'm blessed. It used to be stuck in American sport. It has now landed in rugby. Three South Africans interviewed after the game on Saturday. They all wanted to talk about how blessed they were and how the Lord had helped them. I've no problem. If you believe that, that's fine. But please don't bring it in to my living room. I don't need to hear it. Do it in private. And uh, that's it. Well, there you go. I, I will say this much, uh, you know, I, people who believe that God helped them win games, it, it, I don't think God picks sides, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> God, God doesn't play for them, but, but apparently he's the 16th man. I can safely say my auntie will not be listening to this podcast after that, but that's a whole other story. One listener down the drain. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, that's flummoxed me now. <laughs> <laughs> we might come back to Alan in a second. Dave, you're up. Well, first of all, he clearly doesn't know that William will not be getting the 100% Jesus headband I intend to get. Um, <laughs> sec- you still got mine, have you? <laughs> uh, still got yours. Uh, sec- secondly, he clearly has never, ever, ever seen any Brazilian speak about any sport oh, ever. Brazilians they're must drive gone. you mad in the world. They're, they're gone mad. Um, this is a little bit of a... I don't want to really rant about this. It's more in, whoever gets the TV deal for the next world for the world cups and i say this across the board any sport major tv deal can your can your chief director be somebody who knows the sport and can we not cut away from interviews 20 seconds in i think the biggest issue with tv3 has not been the quality of the analysis has not been the quality of the, of, of what's been said during the games though so that's personal taste in there do you if you yeah. you can you can love hugo mcneil you can hate you can hate keith wood that's fine that's personal taste but what is absolutely unacceptable is cutting away at the wrong halfway through an interview with <laughs> they cut away to an ad break lads make sure your director the guy running the show knows about sport and not just about commercialism i'm picking on them slightly they had a really bad problem yesterday that penalty knock-on incident at the end of the australia scotland game I was getting texts and tweets from people in England saying, it's a disgrace, it's a disgrace, he's made the wrong decision. I was watching TV3 and I kept seeing it from one angle. And that angle appeared to show that there was no Australian involved in the incident at all. There was another angle. They showed that so often that the guys in the studio all said, that was a penalty, what's the problem? They didn't even see the other angle. It's clearly there. It was on ITV Highlights last night. They simply didn't... The director simply made the error. He didn't show them all the available footage. TV3 had it during their live coverage, but it was only shown once. That's just sloppy. And it made their own panel look weak. Yeah, and well then I just happened to have ITV on during the New Zealand-France game and they correctly highlighted that Freddie Michelot got injured at the previous ruck and that's why his kick was so poor and that was missed on TV3 and he was dismissed as a as a player who's just passed it pretty much in the commentary for his poor kick that led to the try which was extremely ill-informed because he was injured which was a factor in why he did the bad kick but I do want to say there is there is a, something that happens in media and we, we deal with it in a lot of different media companies the kind of uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but things you are used to for a long time. The newspaper that's dominant in your province. Oh, they can never be wrong. Anyone who's trying to do something different, oh, they're not as good as the old guys. And there's a lot of that going around with RT. I've even heard someone suggest that TV3 are spending too much time talking about Ireland, as if RT have never done that. So uh, some of the criticism is a little unfair, but some of it is, is constructive like that was. I will like to say that Liam Tolan's anti-Richie McCall rant for Asian Mates was... F- one of the funniest things ever. I mean, there was nothing short. Was nothing. I mean, he 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 
the only thing he didn't accuse him of doing at the end of the game was creating the Bermuda Triangle. He accused him of everything. It was hilarious. And what was most, was at the end of the game, yeah, and you know what, he's good at it too. So I thought Tolan was excellent. So I'm going to stand up for him that way. Yeah, he's getting a lot of criticism, but I thought he was a great fun. Yeah, I enjoy Liam. I enjoy the fact that he, he he's a proper colour commentator who actually tells you stuff that you're not seeing and not just repeating showing you what's on the TV and I enjoy that and I enjoy having someone who does you know, give you a better a better view of what's going on in the World Cup um, and my, my rant is, is actually against the BBC hey, something different because, TV people are going thank God because the, I, I listened to their podcast last night and I was sort of drifting off um, just in the sleep I was struggling to sleep and I was trying to get something and I said oh, I'll, I'll just listen to the BBC podcast and it started at the end of the, the Scotland game with Gavin uh, Gavin Hastings ranting about the referee sprinting off the field, which is fair enough. Except that 20 minutes later, they were still talking about the referee sprinting off the field. There was no analysis of the game. There was no analysis of anything else. It was just about how disgraceful it was and how we should never referee again. I'm going, oh, come on, guys. You had your rant, you know, two minutes into the thing. Like, can we talk about something else? It was it was shocking. And it was just, they just all kept going on about it. And it, one would feed the other. And it was it was it was shocking. It was brutal. Yeah, fully agree. And I'm sickened to some of the analysis afterwards as well because there is a respect level in rugby and we know we get frustrated at referees but there is an underlying respect that what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch and you just take your beat. Yeah, but their, their issue was that because he sprinted off he didn't show respect. Yeah, it's so true. he didn't but then deserve respect but because he sprinted off. Then there's a picture of Stuart Hogg just telling him to get off pretty much in the way he's pointing and, like, and people are kind of laughing about that and almost saying, well, he's dead right, Stuart Hogg. Well, Stuart Hogg is not showing much respect there either so I don't know but like, we yeah, won't get no, into it was, that. It was, it was disappointing, you know, for a game that, for a game that prides itself on its respect for the referee it doesn't matter what you know once the once the whistle goes once the man's on the field you show him respect and that's it game over great World Cup still isn't it fantastic you're still enjoying this stunning yeah phenomenal yeah every one of us are enjoying every minute of this World Cup is that fair enough not every minute um not every minute. Some things have been primarily got nothing to do. Once the whistle starts and the game ends, it's 80 minutes, yeah, so not every minute of the World Cup. Some things have been a little bit annoying. But finish on a positive. I am finishing on the positive. We still, we still, we've only got, we've only got, we've only got four. Adrian asked one thing for all the food I she's got us. I'm on, I am going, we've only got four games left. I think they're going to be four outstandingly cracking games. We've got an awful lot to work. We're going to, we're only got two podcasts left, but we could probably get three or four out of, out of We could do a podcast in all four games, apart possibly from the third place payoff, which we could do an Apri match on. That's positive. I mean, we don't, even though there's, there's two weekends and four matches, damn, frankly, that's not enough. We'll see you next week, folks.